No, I'm not. But but if you want to, I tell you what. Turn in your Bibles to uh, Genesis 24, and I'm going to talk about something. I want to talk about when the Holy Spirit seeks a bride. When the Holy Spirit seeks a bride, we've been talking a lot about the Holy Spirit, and I'm gonna, and I'm going to tell you, I'll probably speak tonight about the Holy Spirit, and then I'll probably speak this Sunday about the Holy Spirit, and I'll probably be done out of that for a while. So for those of you that have been waiting on me to pull out of this, just because of the awkwardness of it, just wait one more week. It's going to be over. I'm going to probably talk about tongues one more time tonight. It's going to be all right, though. We're going to get through this together. It's going to be a real blessing. Amen. So look at Genesis 24, verse 1 through 9. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read a lot of verses. This is going to be like a Bible study. We'll go through it systematically, and I bet the Lord speaks to us through it. You, you agree with that? Amen. Amen. So it says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, please put, put your hand under my thigh. Now I know that sounds strange, but that is the way they made a covenant. You put your hand up under a man's thigh. We don't do that no more, thank God. But he said, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me saying to your descendants, I give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Now, I'm going to unpack something here, and you just have to bear with me for a moment. But how many of you know, we've talked about this a lot, at least I have, uh, but in the Old Testament, there's types and shadows. And what that, mean, what that means is, is that every story that we read in Scripture you can read that story right there and you say, man, what, how does this apply to me? This has got nothing to do with me. This is about Abraham and the Old Testament. But every story in the Old Testament actually typifies, it can typify Christ, it can typify you, and it's written for our admonition upon whom the end of the world has come. That's what it says in Scripture. So there's something in this story that we can pull out and we can see that applies directly to us in the New Covenant. And if you remember two chapters before in Genesis 22, what happened? God told Abraham, he said, I want you to go upon a mountain and I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go and offer him as a sacrifice on the mountain. Now, one of the things we know is that Isaac was not Abraham's only son. He had another son named Ishmael. But see, what God is doing is he's typifying that in the end, what did God do? He gave his son, his only son, whom he loved as a sacrifice for us, didn't he? And so you get the picture of, of Abraham, the father's son, carrying the wood up the mountain on Mount Moriah, which was actually where Calvary ended up being located, just as Jesus Christ climbed that mountain to offer himself as a sacrifice. And when he gets to the mountain, what happens? He lays him out on the altar. He lifts, he lifts the knife to, to slay his son. And the angel stops him and said, no, now I know. Now I know. And I, and I, and I see that, that, that you believe in me and you trust me. 
And then they look over and in the thicket there's a ram and they called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh because they said the Lord our God shall provide. And in other words, what he's saying is we don't have to bear the penalty of that death that we deserve because God has provided for us a sacrifice. He's provided for us his son, his only son whom he loves. So Genesis 22 is a picture of the cross and then you go over and it's really interesting because that's actually the first mention of love in the Bible and it's the first mention of, of, of worship in the Bible and those two things are tied in together because when you realize how much God loves you in giving his son Jesus Christ to you, that's the purest form of worship. When we offer to God our song and our worship from the place where we say, God, I see how loved I am by sending your son Jesus to die in my place. That's the purest form of worship when we see that love. Secondly, in, in the Bible, the second place that you see love is actually in Genesis 24. It says that, that Isaac loved his wife, Rebekah. And it's a picture of Christ and the church. Because after Calvary, after the cross, what did God do? Jesus uh, rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sat down on the right hand of the Father. And then God sent the Holy Spirit to do what? Go get him a bride. Amen. You see that? So what you see in the scripture here is it says in verse 2 that Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is an unnamed servant. You have the Father, you have the Son, Jesus Christ, and then you have the Holy Spirit who is unnamed. He is the servant of the house of the Father who does the bidding of the Father, who does the work of the Father and of the Son. And what does it say? It says that He rules over all that He has because the Holy Spirit rules over all that the Godhead has. And He is the servant in a sense of the Godhead because He's the one that's sent by the Father to finish and accomplish the work that Jesus won for us on the cross. He's the one here enforcing the victory of Calvary on the cross and reaching out to go get a bride. Now He calls His unnamed servant. What you find out later is really interesting because if you look later in the book, Abraham's servant name is Eleazar. You know what the name Eleazar means? It means God's help or helper of God because the Holy Spirit, if you remember in, in the book of John, he's, he's a paraclete. He's a helper and he's a comforter. So this is a picture. The servant is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Abraham is a picture of the father and Isaac is a picture of the son. And when he's going to get Rebecca, it's a picture of you and I who he's trying to go get a bride for his son, Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture. Now we're going to unpack this because it shows us a lot about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You remember, uh, take a little short break here. You talk about man and woman and uh, historically, uh, you know, women have been like, we, we've tried to say, well, they're subordinate and they're this and they're that, they're less than. But you know, in, in, when, when God makes a woman for man, there is an order to it definitely, but he calls her a helpmeet and in the Hebrew language, it's that word Eleazar. That word Azar is right there in the, in the middle of it. And it's, 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 it's someone that helps, but you can read it in the Hebrew. It's literally a power-facing opposite. In other words, what it means is, is that when a man is joined to a woman, she compliments him in such a way that it actually creates a power that unleashes the fullness of who God is in the earth. So what happens is then in Ephesians, when you talk about a husband and a wife, he says, look, for this reason, a man shall, shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall what? Become one flesh. And then he says, this is a great mystery, but I actually speak concerning Christ and the church. 
He's saying that when you marry your wife or, or you get married to your husband or whatever, he's saying what, really that's just a reflection of what Christ and the church is. So the power facing opposite him, when you two become one in the same way, when you become a Christian, the church, the body, who we are, we become one with Christ. We are his body in the earth and we are a power facing opposite him. You see that? And so that's what he, he uses. We, com we complement him in a sense because we are what's left on the earth completing his work through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when he comes, it says he rules over all that he had. John 16 says it like this, verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. You see, the, you see the, the, the servant hearing what Abraham has said, and now he's saying what Abraham says, and what Abraham says only. The Spirit says what the Father says. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit takes what is God's. He takes what is Jesus's and he declares to you, you know, I love singing about the Holy Spirit, but do you know that the Holy Spirit actually loves singing about Jesus? We sing a lot of songs about the Holy Spirit and there's nothing wrong with that because we believe that we are to worship God, the Father, God, the Son and God, the Spirit in fullness, aren't we? It's one God, three persons, but the Holy Spirit loves to worship. He points us to Jesus and he, and he brings us to Jesus in that sense. And so he comes and notice this in verse five of Genesis 24. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said, don't do that. And then in verse eight, he goes down and he says, look, if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. See, because when the Holy Spirit draws us, we got to be willing to follow. And we've been talking about the Holy Spirit now for several weeks and I wonder sometimes just how many people have been invited by the Holy Spirit. I don't know if Jared's here tonight, but he was telling me the other day that uh, he, 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 was, he was sitting in one of these Wednesday night services and his heart just began to pound. And, and, and we talked in Next Steps a little bit and he said, he said you know what, man, I, you know how you talk about that manifestation of the Spirit where my, your heart pounds and stuff? He said, I felt that, but I didn't know what to do with it. I said, well, was there anything that came to your mind, an impression or anything? He said, yeah, actually there was. He said, there's a guy one of my neighbors that lives down the road, he came to my mind, and I don't know why, but, but he came to my mind. I said, man, maybe you should go talk to him. So he went and talked to this guy, and he said, he said when he went outside and honked on the horn, I hope you don't mind me telling this, he said when he went outside and honked on the horn, like this guy's like a, you know, he, he's an angry dude, don't want nobody around, like he just looked outside and shut the door and didn't even come out to it. And he's like, well, he must not have been led by the Lord, I don't know. So he goes up on the porch and knocks on the door again, says, man, I got something to talk to you about. And he, so he comes out and he starts talking to him about the Lord. He said, man, I had you on my mind. I feel like the Lord sent me here to talk to you about it. So finally, this guy starts opening up his heart and saying, man, you know, I've really been struggling actually just the past couple of weeks. He said, because nobody, you, he said, you can't imagine the things I've done. And I wonder whether or not God could actually forgive me for all the things I've done. So it opens up this conversation now. But see, how many people are willing to follow now, it's not just about salvation because obviously the Holy Spirit... Now, that man right there, a cranky old dude sitting up in the house drinking beer, ain't nobody going to that guy unless the Holy Spirit leads him. If the Holy Spirit leads you, there ain't nobody comes up with that on their own. Nobody comes up. You know what? I think I'd like to go all down on the cranky earls here this evening. Nobody says that. 
But if the Holy Spirit comes and begins to lead a person, the question is, will you follow him? Will you follow him when he leads? And, and, and so when he comes and he draws even a lost person, right? He says, what if she won't follow me? And Abraham says, look, if she ain't going to follow you, you're released from the oath. Because at the end of the day, I want you to understand this. People, there's a lot of theological debate about this. And honestly, at the end of the day, I don't care because I know that we have a responsibility. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So you say, well, you can't resist the Holy Spirit. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can resist the Holy Spirit, Acts 7.51. You can quench the Holy Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. You can grieve the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30. You can do all of those things, but see, the Spirit comes to draw us, and we have to enter into this relationship with Him where we partner with Him. I like John Wesley. A man over here knows John Wesley. But he, he, he believed this. He believed that ultimately at the end of the day, what God has done on the cross has released the Spirit to be at work in the entire world, drawing people to Him in various ways, through preachers, through Christians, through the gospel, in various ways, through prayer, that God is drawing people all over the place in different ways, but not everybody responds to that drawing. There's a responsible grace. We respond when God draws. And when the Spirit moves, how how effectively he moves in our midst actually is dependent upon how well we respond when he calls. Will we follow when he calls? There's so many people right now. Let me tell you something. There are so many people that God wants to save that if we would be in prayer and be sensitive to the Spirit, there's now no doubt in my mind we'd see a thousand people saved in the next couple of weeks. Not a doubt in my mind. This man up here, he, I, bet, I bet you $100 if I was a betting man. I can't do that though. It'd be sin, right? But if I was a betting man, I bet you that man gets saved. Because the Holy Spirit sent him up there to plant a seed and he was willing to follow. Amen. So we got to be willing to follow. And I love this. I love this when you get deeper into this because in Genesis 24, 10, here's what it says. It says, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia, the city of Naor. So he had ten of his master's camels. Now notice this. you got ten camels lined up, right? If you're riding that first camel, how many camels you got behind you? You got nine camels behind you. When the Holy Spirit shows up into your life riding a camel, amen, he comes, notice, with all of his master's goods in his hand. Now, how does he pack all of his master's goods? Hey, hey, Abraham, I'm going to go, but we're going to pack everything up. Well, get the silver, get everything, get it all, and pack it all up. And he's packing it all up to bring it to the bride, isn't he? Notice he's riding one. When you receive the Holy Spirit, what do you receive behind him? Nine gifts, nine fruits. He got those right there behind him. You see the beauty of that? I love the Bible. He's got nine fruits that he cultivates in the life of the believer in Galatians 5. And fruits, let me, let me, the fruits of the Spirit, notice this, they're cultivated over time. I don't know if you've ever tried to grow anything, but, but it's going it's to take you longer than what you could do in a microwave. You know what I'm saying? Like it, you, it takes you, you have to get the soil ready, you got to water that thing, and most likely something's going to eat it and it's going to rot. I mean, it, it's, fruit is hard work. The Holy Spirit cultivating love in your life is a difficult task because you got people surrounding you that are a bunch of jerks trying to get you to just throw fits of rage, right? 
And, and you got all that going on. So love has to be cultivated in the midst of a very tumultuous atmosphere sometimes. Joy does too. Joy has to be cultivated in times where honestly you're just depressed. You're broken because you can't find happiness around you, but joy is cultivated in the middle of some adverse circumstances and fruit is grown and cultivated through a lot of perseverance, man, and a lot of work, a lot of labor. But the Holy Spirit helps us cultivate that in our lives. But gifts, on the other hand, are different. Gifts of the Spirit are the sovereign, spontaneous work of the Spirit in a moment where He empowers you to do something that you could not do otherwise spontaneous and sovereign as he chooses to do in a moment of time something that you could not do otherwise. But you see him riding that one camel and he's got the nine behind him. All the goods of the Holy Spirit he wants to bring into your life. And I know a lot of us, we don't want all the goods and I'll get into that here in just a moment. But in verse 11, it says this, he made the camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. And then he said, O oh Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Notice that phrase. They're coming out to draw water. He said, now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, Drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed to your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So you hear this language of these women coming out to draw uh, water from the well. Now this puts, this puts me in mind in the New Covenant, you, in the New Testament, John 4. You remember when Jesus goes out to the Samaritan woman? She's out at the well. Nobody wants to talk to her because she's a Samaritan. But he goes anyway and he talks to her even though he's not supposed to. And she's had like six husbands. And, and the guy she's living with now is not her husband. And he goes and talks to her. And it's kind of scandalous. But they get in this conversation about he, said, he basically says, look, you come out here to draw this water. If you'd have known who's talking to you, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. That would have welled up in you into everlasting life. And you remember Jesus said something very specific again in John 7, 37. He said, right, that on the last day of the feast, he stood up, cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And it says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And it says, this he spoke about the spirit, which was not yet given, for he had not yet been glorified. When he's glorified, man, the spirit is given. And he was glorified on the cross and that's why the spirit is given. But on the same token, when we as a church glorify Jesus, greater measures of his spirit. It's about glorifying Jesus. And so he says this, this water, they're drawing it. But notice, notice too the way, the way that she's going about it because they're going out what to draw water. The Bible says that we've all been baptized by one spirit into one body and, all, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. If you don't go out and draw the water, you ain't going to have nothing to drink, my friends. You have to do the work of going out and drawing the water from the well of eternal life, from Jesus Christ himself, from drinking deep in God's word. That's why when we do Bible teaching, when we do worship, you know what we're doing? We're taking a big gulp. When we come in here and lift our hands and we pray and we lay our hands on others and we open the word of God, we're taking a big gulp and we are drawing water from the wellspring of life and saying, Lord, we need more of your spirit. We need the refreshing of your spirit. We need the power of your spirit because we need to be washed. We need to be cleansed and sanctified and we need to be empowered to do what you're calling us to do. In verse 14, it says, now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, 
please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, now I'm going to make a statement here and I'm going to back it up here in a minute with other stuff. But I believe that right here he's pointing out to the vocal gifts of the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to say something to her and she's going to say something very specific back. That's what the Holy Spirit says. He says, let it be that the woman that I say something to and she says something back to me in particular, let that be the one. And those are the vocal gifts. Now, we've went over this, right, in 1 Corinthians 12. The, the, the nine gifts of the Spirit are broken down into three categories. Vocal gifts, revelation gifts, and power gifts. There's three, three sets of three. The vocal gifts are tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Now, I will go on to say later that, that ultimately you see the vocal gifts in, in, in the fact that whenever they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they preach the gospel boldly. They speak the word of God with boldness. But almost every time in the book of Acts we've went over this, when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, what you see is linked into it, preaching the gospel boldly, tongues and prophecy. That's just in the book of Acts. Because he usually ignites within you something vocally. Something that comes out of your mouth where you're able to speak, where you speak the word of God boldly. You give a prophetic or encouraging word to somebody or maybe you speak in tongues like he, he operates. He, he activates that vocal gift in your life. And, you know, the scripture says in Acts 2, 4 that they began. We said this before. They began to speak in tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. Now, what you got to understand when we talk about tongue speaking, right, is you will speak. In, you're the one that speaks. Anybody amen me on that? Because we, we tried to, to delineate the craziness of it, that it is never, a manifestation of the Spirit is never, I lose control of my tongue, just, oh, I can't control my tongue, and it's just flopping. And saying, that doesn't happen. When I speak in tongues, folks, let me tell you something, I'm in a controlled state. I give you, a matter of fact, I'll tell you this right now, they were in here worshiping, they, I don't know if they knew it or not, they probably didn't, but I was walking around, pacing around here, you know what I was doing? I was speaking in tongues, just as controlled as I could be. What was I doing? Well, I'll unpack that here in a minute, but I was building myself up in the Lord because I was getting ready for tonight and I knew that if I build myself up, then I can come in here and build you up. If I'm not built up, if I come in here depressed and beat down and broken down and not filled with the Holy Spirit, I'd just be like, I don't really have nothing. I mean, I guess let's just go to the house. I mean, that'd be a weird day in the church house, wouldn't it? It'd be a weird day in the church house. I'm not saying that's the only way that a person can be built up or a, or a person be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying it's the only way at all. And, and again, I'll make this statement just so I don't weird everybody out. But yes, there are men of God far more powerful than me that have been used by God in far more ways than me that have never spoken in tongues. But I'm not comparing myself with other people. I'm only teaching what the Bible teaches. And if it's a gift for me, then you know what? I'm going to take that thing. I'm going to take it and we'll get into this. But Luke 12, 12 says it like this. I, I love this verse for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. Whether it be tongues, whether it be prophecy, whether it be you coming. The context of this is actually coming before uh, judges and magistrates who want to put you in jail. Amen. And I can't wait till that day comes. Can y'all? I'm be up here preaching one Sunday. Arrest that man. And take me in. I come, I come before the judges and the magistrates. You know what's going to happen? I ain't even going to premeditate because in that moment, the Holy Spirit's going to give me exactly what I need to say. And son, it's going to be, the Bible says he'll give me wisdom in a mouth that none of my adversaries shall be able to gainsay or resist. It'll speak, it'll cut. They may kill me after, but what says will be known. This was the Lord. 
Somebody amen me on that. I don't know about you. I get joyful about that type of thing. It says they were happy in the scripture. I'm going to be joyful if they were. If I get to die for the Lord, we'll be happy. That's the kind of joy that I'm actually talking about that the Holy Spirit gives. I mean, these people were being persecuted, murdered, put to death for their faith in Christ. And it says they went out with great joy. That's the Holy Spirit, y'all. We gotta, the only way we, gotta have, we, we have joy is if everything in life is perfect. Yeah. Stuff was not perfect. They had joy from the Holy Spirit. Man, I feel the Holy Spirit on that right now. So when I talk about praying in tongues now, let me ask you this. This is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Would y'all amen me on that? Like, it, it, like in the Bible, it says these are gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and they're, I'll tell you a story, a funny story. So I was actually praying. I was, I'm actually getting tired of talking about the Holy Spirit a little bit because sometimes you get a little... Most people are pretty positive about it, but some people aren't so positive about it. And then some people question whether or not tongues is real. And then people ask, well, you know, y'all are... Is that y'all one of them weird churches that speak in tongues and that type of thing? So, so I'm in my mind and I'm thinking about it. And I think to myself, Lord, I feel like I should probably talk about this since I'm already in it. But then again, I don't, I'm just tired of dealing with it and I don't want to talk about it. And I said, I said, if you want me to, though, I will. And I'm saying that today, actually. And a guy sends me a message while I'm preparing this message and says, hey, you care to call me? And it's a guy that I haven't spoken to in probably six or seven years from Barberville. And I called the guy and he said, man, you know what? He said, I just want to call you. He said, I don't know why, but I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me to. He said, I've been listening to your podcasts. And he said, this is going to sound real, real weird. He said, but, but, but he said, you, I've prayed about tongues and he said, you're teaching on it. And he said, I don't know. It's kind of a strange thing to me. And he said, but I remember one time he said, I've prayed about it twice. And I think the Lord really confirmed something for me last night. He said, he said, but one time I was praying about it. And he said, that's when you preached over in Barberville. And he told me this, he said, he said, one day I was praying and, uh, and I was really tore up about something in particular. And he said, I was praying about this thing. And I may be getting it wrong what he was saying, but he, he was praying about something and he was praying about tongues as well. And he said, I came into church that night and he said, you know, that guy, Cameron, and that's that guy right there. And I said, yeah, I said, yeah, I remember that guy. I think I know of him. I, uh, I don't like to associate myself with him, but no, nah, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Cam. He said, he said, well, he spoke in tongues one time in a service and he said, and you interpreted it. And he said, it was almost, he said, it, it was, it was like, it was like it was speaking directly to me. He said, and it was speaking about peace over the situation that I had been going through. And he said, and it spoke directly to me. And it was like the Lord was saying, see, this is a real gift. Don't, don't doubt it. And it was in that in his mind. And he said, and so I was listening to your podcast thinking about it. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, this guy comes over to me and basically says, I want to pray for you. And, and, and they had some kind of conversation and they got into a conversation about tongues and he ended up praying for him. And he said, well, man, I'm open to it or whatever. So he went to bed. He said, he said, now this is where it gets strange. I went to bed last night. He's probably going to listen to this because he's listening to the podcast. So if I get it wrong, I'm sorry, buddy. But it's real similar to this is what he said to me. He said, I went to bed and I had a dream. And he said, in the dream, my brother came up to me, and if you don't understand, a lot, of times, uh, a lot of times your brother in a dream has got to do with the church. It's your brothers and sisters. That's what it typifies. And so he said he, he put his hand on my chest, and he started saying, matas, matas, matas. And he said, I know that sounds weird. He said, but I got up, and I looked up that word, and of course I know what the word means. 
But he looked it up and, and, and in German and in a few other different languages and also in Greek, matos is gift of God. Right? Charismata, grace, gifts, matos. So he was saying, and he said, I didn't know that, but, he, but he was, it was like God was saying to me, this is a gift from God. And he said, the Lord gave me, gave me my, first, my first word in tongues. So, so anyway, weird, I don't know. So for me, I was like, you know what, Lord? I'll take that as a confirmation. I'll go ahead and talk about it. If it hair lips the devil, as they say. But let, let, me, let me say this. You ever got a gift that you just didn't like? You ever got one? Have you ever given your, your kid a gift that they hated? How'd that feel to you? Yeah, it feels terrible. Me and Andrea got our, my niece and nephew a gift one time, and, and we got my niece like this big, this big fluffy, I don't know, kind of ball that you bounce. She loved that thing. She just started wigging out and rolling all over it and laughing real loud. And then we got, we got my nephew like this, this, like some kind of cars or something. And he looked at her over there having fun, and he looked at his, and he said, I'm not very pleased with mine. <laughs> That's what he said. I was like, well, you little jerk. <laughs> That's what I wanted to say. Listen, y'all be careful. I'll whip you kids if you get... I'll whip you kids. I thought, you little jerk. I meditated on that for a while, and, and you know, I think to myself, really, that's the attitude of 99.9% .9 of Christians toward the gifts of the Spirit, especially tongues. It's like, oh, it's a gift, but I'm not very pleased with mine. That's how, pe that's how they look at the gift. Can I, can I ask you this? Like the Bible has not one negative word about tongues. It don't have one negative word. Matter of fact, he says, he says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, do not forbid to speak with tongues. I thank my God I speak in tongues more than you all. I wish that you all spoke with tongues. Anywhere it say this is a bad gift, don't do it. It's demonic. No, that ain't in the Bible. I mean, and I'm just trying to break this stuff down because, because, I mean, it's so funny to me that people can say, well, we're about the Bible, but then really you're not about the Bible. Because if you were about the Bible, you would read what it's saying here about this gift. And you say, well, it's a positive thing. It's just misused sometimes. That's what Paul says. He says, it's a positive thing. It's a good thing. It's just misused sometimes. And don't freak everybody out with it. We've already dealt with that. He says, don't let everybody speak in tongues in the church or you'll freak out uninformed people. But he says, now privately, son, I speak in tongues more than you all. I speak in 10,000 words in an unknown tongue privately in devotion to God so that when I come to you and speak five words in an intelligible language, it hits you in the heart. It's got power behind it. Why? Because I'm edified, son. Got myself built up to come in here and get this work done. And that's what he's saying. So he ends up saying in 1414, if I pray in an unknown tongue, what does he say? My spirit prays. But my understanding is unfruitful. Most people will say, well, man, tongues is just weird because nobody even understands what you're saying. And that doesn't make any sense anyway. Can I tell you this? You know, people, people, people really need to dethrone their intellect. I like to think of myself sometimes as a pretty smart guy. But do you know that even the smartest among us right here, we got a three pound brain that's fallen. And best case scenario, we either went to Clay County High School Jackson County 
and maybe, maybe best, South Laurel. You know what I'm saying? Like, we ain't that intelligent in the first place. So you're telling me you're smarter than the Lord when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit that we should function in. I mean, you are not that smart anyway. I'm not that smart anyway. So what I need to do sometimes, because God speaks in a dimension that is other than my mind and my intellect, because He is spirit, God is spirit. And when He speaks, He speaks primarily to my spirit. So He has given me a gift that when I pray, I can locate not my mind, but my spirit. Because if I pray in English, you know what I've located? My mind and also the great incapacity of my mind. Because anybody in here who has ever prayed in English for an extended period of time knows you can't come up with that very much. Somebody amen me. Man, I feel the Holy Spirit in this. Now, what if it is that the Lord said, now, because you know what we've done as a church? Now, I feel the fire on this. Now, I'm just going, I'm already here. I'm going after it. How, how is it that we have taken a gift that the Lord has given and said, that's unimportant, shove it somewhere in a corner? If he put it in the book and they're doing it when the Spirit comes over and over and over again and then says, don't forbid to speak in tongues, and I thank my God I speak in tongues more than y'all, how is it that we could say this is unimportant? I have no idea. It's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. Anyway, you say, well, Clay, why would you get so tore up over tongues? Why not? Y'all get tore up over it. So, I mean, if everybody else is getting tore up over it, I'm going to get tore up over it in the opposite direction. You think I'm crazy because I speak in tongues? I think you're crazy because you don't. I bet, listen, this has been built up for like 12 years. I mean, when you get called a heretic over this stuff a couple of times and you get out, you know what I'm saying? I've been so kind. I'm a kind person. Would y'all agree? But my Lord... It's only so many times you can be called a heretic before you just get tired of it. <laughs> Whoo! Thank you, Lord. I don't even feel conviction for saying that. Praise God. Anyway. Man, we went and got into it, didn't we? I still feel the anointing. <laughs> so here's what he says. So what are, what are some benefits of speaking in tongues, right? We've got, we got a personal direct communion with God. Y'all, y'all, anybody in here ever heard me speak in tongues? You probably haven't. Maybe a few of you have years ago. But, but uh, because I don't normally give messages in tongues to be interpreted. But I, I speak in tongues every day of my life. I have direct per personal communion with God that way. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 14 too, that he who speaks in an unknown tongue, notice this, does not speak to men. When I do it, I'm not speaking to you. You're not going to understand me. Matter of fact, my mind ain't going to understand me. But it says, but, in, in, but unto God, for no one understands him. No one understands him. I don't understand it. But it's good for my mind to not understand certain things. It humbles me. And then it says, however, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries unto God. And I have direct personal communion with God. I was in the shower earlier, and I was sitting there praying this morning. 
And, I, and what I'll do is I'll pray in English for a minute and I'll say, Lord, here's what I got on my mind. And I thought about a couple of people that had prayer requests and I prayed in English over their prayer requests. And then I prayed about the service tonight. And then I reached my limitations in English. And I said, Lord, you know what needs to happen at this service tonight. You know what needs to happen in my brother and my sister's life who's going through this ordeal. And I don't know how to pray as I ought, but I'm going to intercede right now on their behalf. And I begin to pray in tongues. And what I know is that I'm uttering mysteries unto God that only God knows. And he's entered interceding on their behalf in ways that I could not pray effectively in English. It is good. Now what would happen if we actually started to develop our prayer life like this and live that way where we had communion with God? He said, you know what Paul ended up saying? He said, what is it then? He said, what's the conclusion about tongues? He says, I will pray with the Spirit and I'll pray with the understanding. And he said, I'll sing with the Spirit. And I'll sing with the understanding. Good point, I will. What he's saying, what he says, I will, it means that it's of his own volition. Let me ask you this. Do you wait on the Holy Spirit to overtake you before you start praying in English? Be like, uh, Brother Matt, would you pray for us, please? I can't, man. Well, why not? Holy Spirit ain't leading me right now. Nobody does that, do they? Does anybody do that? No, they don't do it. They, of their own volition, they speak out of their mouth and they begin to pray. Paul puts it on the same level. He says, I'll pray with the Spirit and I'll pray with my mind with the understanding. I'll sing with the Spirit, I'll sing in tongues, and I'll sing with my mind and with my understanding. I was in the shower singing in tongues earlier. I wish I'd made a recording so y'all could listen to it here tonight. It would have blessed your socks off. You know that he ended up saying, in the same chapter, he ended up saying, now if they come in and they're uninformed, and he said, he actually talked about blessing food with tongues. In 1 Corinthians 14, he said, but if I bless with the Spirit, he said, the uninformed won't know what's said, so it's better that we pray in English. See, so in the corporate setting, tongues ain't, uh, it's not for that as much, unless it's interpreted. And, and like we said, honestly, that needs to be done in a setting where everybody's copacetic with it, so you don't confuse the socks right off of them, right? That's what, that's what Paul's trying to get at. He says, seek for the gifts that edify the body. See, the gifts that edify the body, he said, it's better that you prophesy because then they're going to understand what you're saying. Right? That's what he said. But you privately, what you do is you edify yourself. You build yourself up. But see, here's the other thing. We speak the wisdom of God in mysteries that God desires to reveal. And I'm going to say this. It's a key to revelation. I already told you this story about how I, I was praying in tongues back years ago before I came to City of Hope Church. God gave me the name Donald Sims. Boom. How did that happen? He gave me revelation. The Bible says we speak mysteries unto God. For, same book, you can read 1 Corinthians 2. I don't have time to go through it. We'll be here all night. But it says we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. And he says, not with words that man teaches, but with words that the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And he said, the natural man does not receive these things because they are foolishness to him. Neither can he understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. How do I access the mind of Christ? Part of the way that I access the mind of Christ, right? I can get in scripture. I can pray in English, but I can also pray what surpasses English and understanding, get into the mind of Christ in the spirit by praying in the spirit. 
And what he says, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. And he says, this wisdom was hidden before the foundations of the world for our glory. And he says, none of the princes of this world, Satan and the demons, would not have crucified the Lord of glory had they known this, this wisdom. And he said, eyes not seen, ear has not heard. It's not entered the heart of, the, of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us, what? By his spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. So what I'm saying to you is that when I don't know certain things, I believe this with all my heart. I will study the Bible, friends, and I will go when I don't get all of it, and I will begin to pray in the Spirit, and all of a sudden it's almost like the truths of Scripture start to drop into place in my mind. Why? I'm speaking out mysteries in the spirit and God's allowing my mind to come into agreement with it. I believe that. You don't believe it? That's your, that's your prerogative. Amen. Amen. I'll move on. I'm being mean tonight, ain't I? See, it says we edify ourselves. A man who speaks in an unknown tongue, what does he do? He edifies himself. Well, say, well, that's not good. You're supposed to be edifying the church. Well, you ain't going to edify nobody if you ain't edified. Just like I said before, the word is oikodomio. It means to build the house. It means that when you pray in the spirit, what you're doing is you are building layer upon layer, brick upon brick, building yourself up in Christ, strengthening yourself in the spirit so that you can be walk in power with God. Jude 20 says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, some people will argue and I'm fine with it because I do think that there are moments when we pray in English and it's in the Holy Spirit. But Paul speaks very specifically that if I pray in an unknown tongue, what prays? My spirit prays. Where does the Holy Spirit reside? In your spirit, right? So if my spirit prays, I'm praying from the place where the Holy Spirit lives, right? And so that, that, that's a very important thing. So it activates us to it activates the spirit to pray the will of God for us Romans 8 26 and 27 it says and I've already mentioned this but basically he helps us in our weaknesses because we don't know how to pray as we ought and we really don't but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God so basically when I begin to pray in the spirit the Holy Spirit takes hold together with my prayer. I don't know the will of God over a situation. You ever prayed over a situation you don't know the will of God? Well, what good is it doing you to pray a bunch of weird stuff if you don't know if it's the will of God or not? But if you begin to pray in the Spirit, we don't know how to pray as we ought. I pray in the Spirit. I activate the Holy Spirit. He takes a hold together with me. He, he begins to groan and intercede with me according to the will of God. And what does He do? He searches the depths of my heart. He searches the depths of God's heart. And He says, look, Clay thinks he needs this right here, but what he really needs is this right here. And so now I'm interceding because the will of God is different than what he's thinking right now in his mind. And if he prays out what's in his mind, he's going to miss it. But if he prays out in the spirit this way, I can say, I'm interceding right now. I want, I'm bringing him into alignment with God's will. And what you'll do is you'll start to just experience moments, divine moments, where it's almost like deja vu. This is God's divine will. And you know you're in it. Am I too spiritual tonight? Is this too much? We engage in spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, 17, 18. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice this. Praying always 
with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. He says you take the sword of the Spirit, which is the spoken word of God. In other words, I spend a lot of time in this Bible right here because it's, it's, it's the go-to. If you got to pick one, if you, and we don't pick one because what, what is it, right? You got a $5 bill, $100 bill on the ground, which one are you picking up? you picking up both. That's right, baby. Here's your $100 bill. Tongues is a $1 bill, but it's still $1. Amen. Amen. If I got to pick one, I'm picking scripture. But what I do is I take scripture and then I begin to pray in the spirit. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will bring to my mind the scripture that I need for the hour to stab the devil in the guts. Yes. Yes. We're instructed. And here, here, here's, here, I, got, I, I got just a couple more and then we'll move on. Everybody still good? Is it all right if I go a little bit long tonight? We good? Because well, we're only doing four Wednesdays, y'all. You know, we're, so we're, it's, it's all right. I'm going to go a little long. Isaiah 28, 9 through 12. Notice this. It says, whom will he teach knowledge? Now, why am I reading this? Because in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul actually quotes some of these scriptures to make a point. Now, he's making the point that if you speak in tongues and people come in, it's a sign to them, but it's a negative sign because they don't understand what it is. And in this particular context, the argument is made by a lot of scholars that basically what God would do is if he's going to bring judgment on Israel, he would send to them a nation that spoke in a different language. And when a different nation that spoke a different language was taking over, they knew, oh, judgment had come. But there's a hidden new, new covenant meaning right here in this scripture that is quite amazing. And here's what he says because he ties it to tongues and so we can go back and read it. And it says, whom will he teach knowledge? And whom will, he make, uh, whom, to, whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from the milk, those just drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, and line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Either, uh, basically, he's talking about how teaching should be taught in order, instruction. Notice what he says. For with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. What's he saying? He's saying, I gave my believers a new covenant gift, a prayer language to have communion with me that would surpass their own understanding, that they could utter mysteries in the Spirit and have a deeper relationship and walk with me. And he said it was actually given to bring them rest and bring them refreshing, but they rejected it because they would not hear. My Lord. My Lord. Right there. Anyway, we are, you know, here's the thing. What we need more than anything, including myself, maybe myself more than anybody, is a good, strong dose of humility before God. Because we think we know so much and we know nothing. We know nothing. He gives you a gift. I don't care if you ain't pleased with it. It's a gift from your heavenly father. I wanted to whip little Luke's hind end when he acted that way. And I wonder how our heavenly father feels when he says, I've got a gift here for you, son. It's for you. It's to bless you. It's to help you. It's actually to give you rest and refreshing. It's to build you up. It's so that you can tap into the mysteries of the things of the spirit. It's to do all those things, but yeah, you, you don't want it. You just turn it down, put it down. No big deal. The, the last thing that I believe, and then I'm moving to a few more things and I'm going to try to finish it up real quick, maybe, possibly. 
But I believe that tongues is it's the first gift given of all the spiritual gifts. You see it operating right out of the gate. Okay? And I believe it's the first one because God wants to see if we'll humble ourselves enough to receive it. But you know, in the Old Testament, when we talked about the tabernacle, if you remember the sermon series we did, they had the menorah. And the menorah actually can rep it represents a sevenfold spirit, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And you have that, that sevenfold spirit, and they had a menorah that had seven branches. Now, when Hanukkah actually was instituted, right, they actually changed the menorah to have nine candles, which is very interesting because that's about the same exact time that the new covenant came into place. As if to say it changed. It went from those seven things to now nine things. You have the fruit of the Spirit and you have the gifts of the Spirit. But in the middle of the menorah, there is one that is movable. All the rest are stationary. So the, the priest would come in and he would light the one in the middle and then he would lift the one in the middle to light all the others. What point am I making? Tongues, praying in tongues is the only gift you get to do as you choose. All the other gifts are as the Holy Spirit chooses. Matter of fact, speaking in tongues for an interpretation is as the Holy Spirit chooses. That's His choice. He gets to decide that. Not everybody has that gift. Not everybody has that. But for the believer, there seems to be an ability based on what Paul is saying. He says, I wish you what? All spoke with tongues. Does everybody have the gift of tongues? No. Can everybody pray in tongues? Seems to be the case. Do all have the gift of prophecies? Not necessarily. Can all prophesy at some point or another? Yes. Y'all with me? Is this, are you picking up what I'm laying down? Is this good? All right. So Genesis 24, 16 through 21. I'm about, I'm about to finish up. He said, now the young woman was very beautiful to behold. This is you. You're very beautiful to behold. A virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, drink, my Lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to the draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So she comes out and fills her pitcher. And when she filled her pitcher, the man ran out to meet her. Because when you begin to come to the Holy Spirit, and you say, Lord, I'm open and I'm drawing and I'm filling up my pitcher. You know what the Holy Spirit says? There's somebody that's ready to get serious. And he runs out to meet you. Matter of fact, in the day of Pentecost, when they had prayed for 10 days, what did he come? He came like a mighty rushing wind. The Holy Spirit wants to fill you, wants to use you. Is tongues the most important thing in the world? No. Is it a gift of the Spirit? Absolutely is. Are there more important things? Yes. Would I rather you speak in tongues or witness to the lost? Witness to the lost. $100 bill, $5 bill, which one are you picking up? Both. Man, y'all are getting good now. So she drew for him and for all his camels. Why? Because she's entering into a relationship and accessing all of the Father's goods, demonstrating a desire for the Holy Spirit and his gifts. And so Genesis 24, 22, it says, So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took, what, a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shekels of gold. So now that she's seeking him deeper, because when you see the manifestation of the Spirit, the gifts that you see most primarily are vocal gifts. 
You go into seeking and pursuing God a little bit deeper, you will see the revelation gifts begin to manifest and you will see the power gifts. The nose ring represents the revelation gifts. You say, well, how, why would you get that? Because literally there, it's got to do with the word smell in the Hebrew because the word smell in the Hebrew is almost the same exact word as discernment. You ever heard people say, I smell a rat? What they mean is I discern that somebody's not what they should be. Discernment. Give her a nose ring. Smell, discernment, same, almost same word in the Hebrew. That's what he's saying. So that, and then he gives him on his hand, he gives her bracelets. These are power gifts, gifts of healings, laying on of hands, working of miracles, the gift of faith. You see those gifts begin to, he's, he's giving her those gifts. You see that in the nose ring and in, in the bracelets. And then he said to her in verse 23, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. Is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Naor. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. And my question is to you, is there room enough? Is there room enough in your life for the Holy Spirit to really have full way in your life? I'm talking about full way because most people are just like, you know what, Holy Spirit, I'm open to you, but I only like on certain levels, because you could get weird. And I'm not a weird person, Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm dignified. And, and, and not only that, this is, this is Holy Spirit. Like, I know it says it in the Bible, but I once heard a pastor that didn't say that. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit don't care what your pastor says. Somebody amen me on that. The Holy Spirit don't care how you're raised. He don't care about your denomination. The Holy Spirit is not a denomination. And if this offends you, I hope that it offends you in a, in a positive way. Because you know what God is doing right here, right now in our midst? I'm sitting here watching people from all a variety of backgrounds actually come together in unison and say, I'm willing to lay down my old school religion and what I used to believe to say. Because here's the thing. If you disagree with me on these issues, as I've said before, I'm totally okay with that. You do not have to speak in tongues. It means no, you can be an excellent Christian and never speak in tongues. You can be an excellent Christian and love people well and do amazing things for God and never be used in any of these gifts of the Spirit, I believe. But how much more could you do if you allowed Him? And the question is, is there room? Is there room in your life for me to have full way? And here's what I feel like about the church at large and even my own life. I'm probably at about 1% capacity right now of what God could actually do in my life. That's about what I feel. And that's not a word of condemnation. Matter of fact, that stirs me up, makes me hungry. It makes me think, man, what all could God do in our midst if we were willing to go and drink from the well and fill up our pitchers and say, Lord, we want more. Whatever you want to do in our midst is not about getting crazy. Matter of fact, we do not want to get crazy. We want people to come in here and say, you know what? These people are so put together. They've got nothing gets crazy and out of order. But man, the power of God shows up and people will speak a word to you that breaks your heart. and You fall before the Lord and you just sense the presence of God and people get saved and people are encouraged and people are strengthened and people are blessed. It's nothing weird. The Holy Spirit is not weird. He's the coolest person you've ever met in your life. He is Jesus, really. He's the Spirit of Christ. 
I always said, you know, back in the day, we talked about Jesus. Can you imagine? Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit without measure. Can you imagine Jesus like, like just going over here on the floor and flopping around? I can't really imagine him doing so. He was so filled with the Spirit that he was in full control. Don't be so filled with the Spirit that you lose control. Be so filled with the Spirit that you're in full control. Man, that is good. Where'd that come from? My Lord. So John 14, 23, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So let's keep this word. And my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Holy Spirit wants to make his home with you. And then it says, so the young woman in verse 28 ran and told her mother's household these things. And now Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban and Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and he saw the bracelets on his sister's wrist. And when he heard the words of his sister, Rebecca saying, thus the man spoke to me that he went to the man and there he stood by the camels at the well and he said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. This is beautiful because what it says is that when she heard that and received the gifts, what did she do? She went and told somebody what had happened to her and what did he do? He heard what she said. He heard the gospel and he saw the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit operating in her life and that caused him to run out to the Holy Spirit and say, come in please because I want you to. My Lord. When we get filled with the Holy Spirit and God uses us and we receive His gifts and we go out and we witness and we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, people are going to say, they're going to come out and say, you know what, I want what you got. And it's not because it's weird, it's because it's, 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 it's good. So he goes on and he repeats all that Abraham told him. In verse 51 and 53, it says, Here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go on and let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave precious things to her brother and her mother because the Holy Spirit will give you silver, which is redemption. Means he'll buy your life out of the pit, out of the darkness. He'll give you gold, which is the divine life. That's a relationship with God that fills your life full of joy and everything that you could ever ask for. He gives you clothing. He clothes you in, his, in, the, in the righteousness of his son. And then he gives your family precious things because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, see that redemption begins to overflow into your children's life. That redemption begins to overflow into your family's life. And it gives, look, my, relation, my relationship with God, if my wife and my kids never sought the Lord a bit, still my relationship with God would give them precious things. Matter of fact, the most precious thing it's going to give them, though, is it's going to empower their relationship with God. Amen? Amen. I, I'm, I'm finishing up. Genesis 24, 54, we're on the light. We went through this whole chapter, bless the Lord. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. And then they arose in the morning and he said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least ten. After that she may go. And he said to them, Do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. She says, Don't hinder they say, well, I'll just stay away a little bit. You know, there's all kinds of excuses that we can make for not going deeper with God. All kinds of excuses we can make for not going with the Lord, not getting saved, not doing this or that. And he says, do not hinder him. You know, when Jesus said that, that he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. You have to take a step and say, you know what, Lord? I'm ready to go full on into the kingdom of God. 
don't hinder the work of the Lord. Send me away so that I may go to my master. Verse 57, so they said, we, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. They called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands. And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. She's talking about the church. She going to become the descendants of thousands and ten thousands. We are the descendants, my friends. That's us. It's talking about us. And what does it say about us? May they possess the gates of those who hate them. You know what those gates are? Matthew 16, 19 says, I give unto you the, the keys of the kingdom of heaven and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. That means that we go to where the devil's got his stuff set up around people's lives and we take those gates and we say, now Satan, these are our gates. And why do we, how do we take those gates? Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit that is greater than those demon spirits. Amen. We possess the gates of those who hate us. I believe in this church. I just believe it. Y'all can, can be flipping about it if you want to. I believe the Lord's going to use this church to possess some devil's gates. Amen. We're going to take some gates. He's going to use this people in this generation. And so it says in 61, Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Bir Haroi. It's a wonderful place. For he dwelt in the south, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. And then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. She sees Jesus. For she said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? Sometimes you need to ask the Holy Spirit, Who is this Jesus that I read about? I need you to reveal him to me, because I don't think I see him as clearly as I need to see him. Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, it is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. Because you know what we see through right now is through a veil dimly. But then we shall see face to face. And we shall know even as we are fully known. And it said, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah and she became his wife. And he loved her. See, we are becoming the bride of Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Spirit and the bride say, come. We are preparing ourselves for a marriage supper with the Lamb. And he, He's saying, I want to clothe you in white. I want to prepare you for this marriage supper. But right now, I need you to receive the full benefits, all nine camels of the goods that I've paid for you to operate in on Calvary. The cross has done it. It's available. The Holy Spirit wants to bring, you, bring it to you. Amen? Amen? So let's stand to our feet. Why don't y'all come up and play, a, play a, just a quick little tune. Y'all still with me? Yeah, yeah, I had to get that off my chest, y'all. I apologize. Well, he t you know, Jeremy told me I needed to do like, uh, who was it? Colin McGregor. Oh, yeah. oh, he, he said, when you get done, he said, I need to take this opportunity to apologize to absolutely no one. <laughs> oh, that's probably not good. It's funny, though. Anyway. Anyway, I believe the Holy Spirit's here. You believe that? So would you just open your hands to him? And I'm just going to leave this up to you. I ain't going to put pressure on nobody. I'm just going to leave this completely up to you. 
because everything that he has for you, I, th I think I've laid this out enough to where it makes sense, but right now you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that if your father on earth knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more will the Holy than your the heavenly Father, your heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So just close your eyes and just ask Him. Say, Lord, fill me with Your Holy Spirit. I want everything that You have to offer, every single thing that You have to offer. The gifts of the Spirit, Your presence, Lord God, Your redemption, the divine life. I know that I'm clothed in righteousness because of Your blood. Lord, we hear testimonies of people, their hearts pounding. And Lord, you putting people on their hearts, God, to go witness to them, to go speak to them through the power of the Holy Spirit so that they could be saved, God, because your heart is for the lost. None of these gifts that you give us, God, are so that we can be weird or we can be elevated or, or, or that we can be proud or we can have a spiritual badge because we speak in tongues. None of those things come for that reason. They come, Lord God, that we could be witnesses of who you are, Jesus. That we could proclaim the gospel boldly. That we could be empowered to lay hands on people who are sick and broken and hurting and your spirit and your power would be released so that they could be made whole, God. These are the things that you do. And we are your servants. We are your bride. We are the bride of Christ and so Lord we're open now to you filling us full just open up to him take a deep breath say Lord I want to be filled I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit and I just want you to take a minute however the Lord's moving you maybe he's moving you to sit right there and pray maybe he wants you to come to the altar maybe he wants you to go over and lay your hands on a person and pray for them but be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's just doing in this moment we're just going to take a few minutes and then we're going to get out of here but I want you to take a moment just to be saturated in the presence of the Lord. Lord, just continue to move. Just let Him fill you. Let Him bless you. Thank you, Lord.